0: Welcome everyone listening in to From Our Vantage Point, Vantage Point's podcast recorded on the unceded territories of the Squamish, Musqueam, and tsleil First Nations where we talk all things not-for-profit related. I'm Rowan King, the Interim Communications Manager at Vantage Point and the From Our Vantage Point host. If you've been following from our vantage point for a while now, you might remember one of our podcasts from the wee early days of 2020 when we had Jennifer Wallowick of SFU's Morris J. Wask Center for Dialogue and Alicia Masongsong from Exchange Inner City join us to talk about the five principles of democratic engagement. We'll link to that recording in the notes in case you want to get caught up or revisit that episode. But first, I just wanna say, I remember that day very clearly because while I wasn't the podcast host at the time, Nav I've interviewed Jennifer and Alicia that day, I was on the other side of the table monitoring the recording as it happened, and I was in awe of the discussion around democracy happening right before me. I was still pretty fresh at that point, and it really solidified my love of the work happening in this sector. So all that is to say, I recommend listening to that episode if you haven't already. I also remember that day because it was February of 2020, and I think it was the last time we sat down to record a podcast in person. This month, I had the pleasure of welcoming Jennifer Walloway back to the podcast, and we had a great virtual conversation about the newly released workbook she hinted at last time, designed to bring the five principles of democratic engagement to life in your organization using real effective research techniques. Where to start? A workbook for evaluating democratic engagement impacts takes a very complex topic and provides tangible steps to evaluating where your organization is at and how to implement or improve democratic processes. Jennifer describes it best as a choose-your-own-adventure workbook on democracy. Just before we head over to the conversation, I want to properly introduce our guest. Dr. Jennifer Wallawick, leads the Simon Fraser University-Morris J. Wask Centre for Dialogue Strengthening Canadian Democracy Initiative. The initiative pilots democratic interventions, explores reforms, and develops education to spark dialogue and how we can make our culture of democracy stronger. Jennifer has led several of these programs, including a collaboration with the Lieutenant Governor of British Columbia that used game design to help improve how we can talk through difficult issues. As I mentioned, she joined us back in 2020 to talk about five principles of democratic engagement. And now she's back to talk about how we can use those principles to evaluate whether or not our organizations are helping to strengthen our democratic culture. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy this episode and let's head on over to hear what Jennifer had to say. Hey Jennifer, thank you so much for being here today. I was thrilled to see your email in my inbox saying the workbook you hinted at last episode in 2020 was complete. And for you out there listening, the workbook is called Where to Start a Workbook for Evaluating Democratic Engagement Impacts. And you can find a link to it in the notes section of this episode. Jen, do you want to give us some context on how this workbook came about and who it's intended for?
1: Yeah, it's great to be back with you and and talking about these democratic engagement principles and how to evaluate them. So this workbook really came about through our role at the Morris J. Waugh Center for Dialogue and thinking about how do we strengthen a culture of democracy? By democratic culture, I mean a culture where all people feel empowered, they understand every decision requires accepting trade-offs, and they really see themselves reflected in the procedures or decisions. So as part of our initiative, we started meeting with government and funders to encourage them to try and fund programs or interventions that are nonpartisan and specifically there to help promote democracy. And we kept hearing the same questions. Well, how will we know if these interventions work? How will we know if one program is better than another? What's the evidence going to be? I know nonprofits and uh, your listeners hear this all the time, you know, that that evidence-based funding. So then we went and talked to folks doing the hard work on the ground and they told us, you know, all evaluations too complicated. It's too hard. It takes too much time away from actually delivering programs. And honestly, I don't even know where to start with evaluations. Thus, the inspiration for the title of our workbook. So really this workbook was designed out of those two needs. How do we know if something's working? What can we ask folks to get that data and, and understanding? And then For folks who've never done evaluations or have always wanted to try one but don't know where to start, we wanted to create a really easy way to walk you hand in hand through every step that you need, from ideation into like, what specific questions should I put in a survey? Yeah, so that's sort of where it came from.
0: Thank you for that context. And what I will say, you mentioned that you wanted it to be easy to go through this. What I will say right away is how much I appreciated how accessible this workbook made research methods through tangible action items. There's a lot of great information. But to me, it didn't seem overly convoluted. And it had some examples and explanations that made the information interesting to me and easy to absorb. Before we move forward in talking about this fantastic workbook, for the sake of our listeners, could you provide a quick recap of the five principles of democracy you Alicia and Nav talked about last time?
1: Yeah, I actually went and listened to that podcast just this week and prepped for this. And you know what? We sounded great. It was such an entertaining <laughs> conversation to go back to. Uh, so basically, the principles are there because when you do an evaluation, you can never know everything, and democracy is a really intimidating and giant topic. So we wanted to see like how could you break that apart into things that people can actually understand or ask about. So the first principle is really called build capacity to participate. This is about you know, building skills and knowledge. You know, how are you helping those involved in your organization feel like they have a better understanding of how power works and how decisions get made? The second is fostering commitment to democratic values. So this is one where we all talk about democratic values, but we often don't, we are not not very explicit in why they matter or how they apply. So are you talking about them in your organizations? Are you developing social norms that you're helping people connect back to why it matters to treat everyone as if they have an equal source of power. This is incredibly important as we work through reconciliation and our colonial legacies. So It's really about what are the social norms that we're talking about. The third is deepening relationships and social connection. From our research, we know that if you have a sense of belonging to your neighborhood, you're far more likely to trust institutions and to feel like you can make an impact in government decisions. It's three times more likely. So building connections and relationships that expand beyond your program, beyond your organization, helping build social networks, that's really what this principle is about. The fourth, which is actually different now, because we're always improving our ideas based on the feedback we get from that 2020 podcast, is we've renamed this from being inclusive and accessible to being caring and equitable. What we heard is we really want to, you know, make that a human connection. So you care about each person as a real human, as an individual. And what does that person need to succeed in your space, to feel like their whole self and participate as such? So really, it's, it's more of that personal idea of being caring. And then also, what are you doing to help some people who might need more support than others? The fifth and final, which really relates to evaluation as well, is about establishing accountability. Are you participating in cycles of feedback and improvement? How do you show your clients that you're listening to their needs and adapting? Are you being honest about trade-offs? And, you know, evaluations are one of those ways of creating these cycles of feedback. So those are the five. That's the Cliff Notes versions. But like, as we talked about, I really think that that 2020 conversation adds so much more to what we were talking about and how it applies to this workbook. So go back and listen to it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. If you haven't checked it out, please do. Uh, There's so much context there. I wanted to pull something that you just said about how a sense of belonging and community, it leads to a more, you know, you're more likely to trust institutions. And I think that that's huge right now, because what we're noticing is this huge lack of trust, which is causing a lot of strife. And I just love that you mentioned that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's in that data and the idea that, you know, I see myself in the decisions that impact me and also like I feel connected And, you know, sometimes we're talking about in terms of COVID and things, it's like, are the officials reading the tone right now? And uh, a lot of that's about building relationships or trusting others.
0: Beautiful. Just to provide our listeners with a bit more context here, Simon Fraser University's uh, Morris J. Wask Center for Dialogue summarizes itself as a center which uses dialogue and engagement to facilitate transformative conversations and create real world impact for society's most pressing challenges. They strengthen Canadian democracy by promoting democratic values and innovation, spread best practices by providing dialogue training and tools, and help governments to engage citizens and stakeholders through their consulting services. From your perspective, Jennifer, and based on your work, what does dialogue bring to or what role does dialogue play in democracy?
1: You just gave us the great word salad that exists on our website, so let me unpack <laughs> it a bit. So we really use dialogue as a particular kind of conversation that collaboratively explores complex experiences and problems. We call them wicked problems. Dialogue isn't just a conversation, but it's a conversation that produces a change, even if that change might just be the creation of a better shared understanding. Uh, But it's about talking to create change. And, you know, what's the saying that, like, everything that we ever need to know we learned in kindergarten or something like that? So dialogue really goes back to that notion of caring, sharing, regulating ourselves and active listening that was drilled into us when we were five years old, either by teachers or by family. But then we all went off to primary, secondary universities, and then we grew up in what I would call a debate culture, where we watch leaders or we engage in classrooms or even around the pub with our friends ourselves, and we argue about why our point is best with evidence we think is relevant. You only start listening to your friends or listening to the argument to catch the flaws in what the other person is saying. So you can pounce on them. We've all seen this, right? You do this. Mm -hmm. And so in dialogue is a difference. So in dialogue, you're listening to that person's retort to hear what you can connect with, what might be a kernel of something you can agree with and then build your ideas on top of it. It's a different way of approaching the way in which we think about change. We think about solution generation. So where does dialogue and democracy meet? Imagine if the moderator of the next prime minister's debate started with this question. Tell me, candidates, what do all your parties agree on? And then that conversation went from there. It would shift the conversation, our skills, values, relationships, and even accountability to what we have in common, rather than arguing and making small differences seem like giant differences. And so that's really where the two meet. It's a different way of thinking about how we can create solutions. Beautiful. It's a lot, it's a lot to sort of take in, but it's a, it's a different mental shift. The other way I describe it to people is um, if you've ever been to an improv show, improv has a philosophy that's called yes and. Whatever the other person on stage is giving you, you have to accept and then go from there. You can't reject whatever they're doing. So dialogue similar. You have to accept something that they're giving to you and build on it rather than rejecting it.
0: Nice. So improvise, don't debate.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) have some fun.
0: (laughs) Nice. I love that. So if you're listening to this right now and happen to be pulling up the workbook we're talking about this episode, you may notice there are about 76 pages packed full of content to explore how to research democratic engagement impacts in your organization. If you're a big reader, this might just be another Thursday, but I know this time is precious and I don't want you to get overwhelmed and click away. So after a very short break, we're going to talk more about key sections within the workbook and their importance and some suggestions on how to approach this evaluation. First, we're gonna pause to hear from our sponsor, Humanity Financial Management. From our vantage point is brought to you by Humanity Financial Management, a chartered professional accounting firm dedicated to supporting Canadian nation builders and movement makers in social sector organizations, social purpose businesses, and Indigenous communities and organizations. The humanitarians on our team work with our client partners to shift the balance of power through finance in advance of our shared goals, to transform this land into the most environmentally, socially, and economically equitable place on earth. Visit Humanity Financial Management online at humanityfinancial.com ca welcome back and thank you for sticking around jennifer starting off with a two-pointer question knowing this is a choose your own adventure workbook as you had mentioned it in our conversation what would you say are the most important sections to navigate to first and do you have any recommendations on how to approach the information you've provided
1: yes as you sort of mentioned in our lead up to the break like this is a big document so i don't want people to be intimidated by page numbers So my very first advice is do not read everything. You alluded to it in our previous conversation, we talked about it. This document was inspired by those children's choose your own adventure novels, those novels that asked you to jump around and sort of choose where you wanted to go. So this workbook is designed the same way. It's designed for you to only read and decide what matters to you and then jump to different sections. And it will tell you when to skip and where to jump to as you go through it. So how do you approach it? Step one, we have you explore these principles. And pick what matters to you. Step two, we ask you to think about who's going to give you this data and how to treat them ethically. And we ask you to decide if your evaluation wants to explore what is going on or why something might be going on. That decision informs the next steps. So, those steps are three and four, and they walk you through beginning to end what it means to gather data and analyze using methods like surveys or interviews, how to do those things. And pretty, as you mentioned at the top, like, I like to think of it as a pretty simple explanation and some checklists to think about. The final step is about sharing your findings. So we give you a checklist and tips for writing those outcome reports that we all have to write in nonprofits. But that's not all. So when I was designing this or thinking this through and I was looking at other folks' workbooks, a lot of those other toolkits might advise something like, quote, think about the outcomes of your programs you want to measure. Come up with questions to fit that. And then that's where it stops. It leaves you with a really big question where you have to come up with questions yourself. What we did is using this choose-your-own-adventure format is that we direct you to question packets at the end. So if you're curious around, you know, how do I ask my participants, my staff, whoever you want to survey, if I'm being caring and equitable, we actually give you a set of about eight questions you can choose from that work to sort of unpack that. So instead of leaving you with open-ended thinking, we're really letting you pick and choose based on what we have to build your own process. And so my goal and my hope here is that everything you would need, whether you're an experienced evaluator or someone who's doing it for the first time, is in this workbook. Awesome. Yeah,
0: it is. There's so much information, but you don't have to absorb it all at once, which is the beauty of how it's designed.
1: And there's little cartoon people.
0: Yeah, it's so cute. (laughs) Yeah. In section one, you talk about principles-focused evaluation. This, of course, harkens back to the five principles for democratic engagement we talked about earlier. Uh, capacity to participate, commitment to democratic values, relationships and social connection, inclusion and accessibility, and accountability. And then that section works through evaluations of how the reader's organization currently approaches each of these principles. I also like how number four frames inclusion and accessibility as being equitable and caring as you keep referring to, just as a side note. Then it moves on to a personal check-in, but then it talks about what's your evaluation personality. So what is an evaluation personality?
1: So as we talked about, there's cute cartoons, there's a sense of an adventure uh, journey through this. And so to keep it accessible, but to kind of ask yourself some honest questions, we wanted to find a kind of tongue in cheek fun way to do that. So the evaluation personality thinks back to those social media personality tests, or you know, what you might find in a magazine, Mm -hmm. and uses that sort of model to sort of do a check in about, you know, How much experience do you and your organization have with evaluations? How much time do you want to give to an evaluation if you have a budget? And those questions like, do you want to know what or why? So based on that, you get a result. So it's sort of like a quiz that will then help you decide, oh, I'm wanting to read, you know, the first half of section two, and then I want to jump to the last half of section three. So it starts, it maps that for you. So really that personality test is to help you decide, oh, do I want to use this method or that method and why? because of the way I'm doing a self-assessment of my own organization. So really, you notice like with this workbook is that it is about you, it is about your organization, and what applies and matters to you most. And then it helps you figure out what sections you can skip based on that.
0: Okay, so your evaluation personality basically acts as a a frame and point of reference.
1: Yeah, it's a fun way of checking in and like being very thoughtful in how you want to think about your evaluation as you go forward. Nice.
0: Okay, so we've determined our evaluation personality. And at that point, we can move on to step two, which is plan your approach. And here we talk about the differences between quantitative research, the what, and qualitative research, the why. There are also some great points around ethical evaluation, you know, evaluating with consent and proper communication. This section is where you really start to personalize the evaluation process. And could you go into a bit about what that looks like in action?
1: Yeah. So as you mentioned, that ethical approach with participants. So one of the things that I try to always do is offer people the chance to say no to participating in evaluation. That's part of being accountable, part of being respectful. Also, the ideas of ethics is really around, you know, sharing with whoever is going to give you data, you know, what's your intent for doing it? A hint of what those questions are going to be just in case something, you know, might be something they don't want to participate in. And then how are you going to use that data? Are you going to cite them specifically? Is it going to be, you know, everything's going to be summarized together? Are you going to do it in a report? Are you going to share it on social media? So really it allows that person before they donate their knowledge and their time by participating in your survey or an interview, they know all the bits and pieces. And that's really also, relates to being part of our democratic culture in terms of transparency, in terms of respect, and in terms of that accountability to those who you're working with and who are giving you their their thoughts and values and time. So going back to, you alluded to it, this idea of, you know, what's going on or why it's going on. So we're going to put on our research hats for a minute here. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Evaluations answer three kinds of questions. So one, as we've said, is what's going on and what has changed? Are there similarities or differences? in different groups. The other one is why is it going on? Why groups might have similarities or not? Um, Why do some things cause other things to happen? And then the third is really, yeah, what causes what? So this is where you hear statisticians talk a lot about, you know, our surveys or our stats or polling has correlation, but does not have causation. When two things correlate, they seem to happen at the same time. Surveys do this a lot. They will tell you if sort of two questions, the answers to two questions move together. They might might be more popular, they might be less popular. But a survey will almost never tell you why they are related. It only tells you what is going on, that it moves up, moves down, and that there there seems to be something going on. But it will never ever be able to tell you if the first thing causes the second thing, or vice versa. And that's when we, when we talk about correlation. So if you want to know if something changes, surveys are fantastic. If you want to want know why something might be changing, that's where you lean into interviews or focus groups. They give you an opportunity to gather ideas. You can ask people, why do you think this happened? And they'll tell you. Um, and also, when you talk to enough people, even, even if it's just you know six to eight people, you'll start to hear patterns in what they're describing if you ask them all the same question. That gives you a sense of confidence that you might be able to hypothesize why something's going on. And so there's that. The stories people tell give you whys. a theory as to why. But then, you know, if you really want to know what causes what, you might need to combine a couple of these methods. You might need to do a survey first to see which things correlate. And then you go back and you ask people why they think they correlate, what's going on um, in that. And that really can lead you to like, does A cause B or does B cause A? So that's where you start to see why it matters to ask yourself, what is it that you want to know? And, you know, what are those methods that are going to help you understand that? This is why researchers always say, like, the, the research question matters so much because it dictates all the choices you're going to make and how you, and what you're going to do next. So in the same way, this, you know, cheap planning your approach is going to decide, you know, if you're going to do interviews, if you're going to do a survey, and then what you're going to do with that in that space. So I think that unpacks a bit more of what you're asking kind of around that, right?
0: Yeah, totally. And it's a good example of how this is a very much choose your own adventure kind of thing, because you're determining what research you want to do, how much of it you, you're going to do and, and in what order and all that.
1: Yeah, it's one of those where, you know, we wish we could know everything. There's no way. Mm-hmm. Just give yourself permission right now. There is no way you can know everything. So what is the one thing that you want to know? And then go deep, go deep into that question.
0: Okay, so step two is where we get the ball rolling and the subsequent steps follow through with method selection and analysis. And I feel like a lot of folks stop there when conducting any sort of evaluation and treat it like a math equation. We found the answer, we're happy. But that only gets us to the halfway point in this workbook. Step five is called tell your story. And if I'm right, this is where that fifth principle of accountability comes in. You found where you're succeeding and you found where there are opportunities for improvement. And now you can bring others along in this learning journey. What does telling your story look like?
1: Yeah, so this is, I I like that you said that where people stop and then, you know, where this this ties back into accountability. So that you think yourself as data is only good as who reads your report and how that creates change. We live in a data gathering culture. We've got fitness trackers. We've got social media cookies. We've got, you know, everything is tracked these days. But it's only when we turn that raw data into ideas that we can act upon them. You know, when those become ideas or thoughts or action items, do they create change? So we end this workbook with why telling the story is important and how do you do that in a way that creates buy-in. If you've written reports before or if this is your first time, we have a checklist in there for, you know, what to include in terms of like your methods, your description of, you know, what you did for your analysis, who was involved. That really helps people trust what your results are or what your recommendations might be. And also we have connections of like, how do you visualize data? You know, how do you actually put a quote in italics of color or you know, suggest that as a way of like breaking up walls of text to catch people's eyes? Mm-hmm. And so we really want to use this as a process of creating a culture for your organization of accountability and creating ideas to improve the practices among your clients and among your staff. So, you know, this is where completing an evaluation and then holding that debriefing meeting. Where you're like, these are the ideas we've came up with. Here's what how we found them. Here's the report. Here's what you know I'm seeing as things we could change or improve, starts to create that feedback cycle of improvement.
0: So a note about dialogue, I just wanted to highlight something else you said there. Uh, because you said, when data becomes ideas, then we can create change. And I really, I love that so much because it it reinforces the humanity and how important humanity is in this work that we're doing. And it's just such a, a key point in. In dialogue right
1: yeah i mean we talk a lot about you know what's your proof what's your evidence but there's also a lot that says you know how are your values informing your interpretation but like as you said you know we're a data obsessed culture and we often forget that there's a little bit of work you have to put in in order to get data to turn into ideas and, and then you have to be transparent about when what values or ideas are informing how you're going to interpret that and turn it into an idea
0: that's a, that's a pretty good place to leave it, I think. I mean, we've gone through dialogue and democratic engagement and, and that evaluation, and then we kind of went into the workbook a bit, and we've covered a lot there. Are there any other points of interest you'd like to leave our listeners with before we wrap up?
1: Yeah, I th- well, I think to wrap it up, I mean, don't be afraid of what you might find out. You yeah, we a lot of nonprofits. We tend to write our reports so that we seem successful, and uh, so we can get our next uh, funding cycle, which is completely valid, and it's the way the game is played and the way that the system works. But if you start asking yourself some hard questions, even internally, and you know, go and ask your clients, or you know, even your staff, or even your board about how you're doing, and really starting to create that that cycle of accountability, you are participating in strengthening a democratic culture. You're giving your staff, you're giving your clients uh, a way of seeing how their thoughts are becoming change or becoming improvements and then you know celebrate that you know make sure that you're being transparent and saying hey look we did this evaluation this is what came out you guys told us this and then look now we're doing this like that becomes a great year-end newsletter story so that i guess that's a key so the thing is like don't be don't be afraid to ask tough questions and you know if you get the answers from your clients or your staff or your board that says you're doing a terrible job think of that as an opportunity to improve in the next cycle.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And a note about like the process and being transparent throughout the process and bringing people along throughout it, you know, going back to what you mentioned before about trust, I think that that is one of the biggest trust building practices you can do, right?
1: Yeah, no, that's a really good connection to that. Because yeah, that is trust is, seeing, is experimenting with each other, trying it, and then, you know, seeing how things are, are changing or moving is a great way to build trust.
0: Nice. So that wraps up our uh, conversation on bringing the five principles of democratic engagement impacts to life in your organization, especially using the workbook, Where to Start, a workbook for evaluating democratic engagement impacts. Again, we will link that in the notes section of this episode. Are there any other resources? Actually, my final last question, are there any other resources you would like to make sure that are are shared aside from the workbook, anything that you would recommend pairing with that?
1: Yeah. I mean, so there's a couple things. So one is we were on this podcast before with Elodie Jaquette, who's our knowledge and practice leader, who talked about beyond inclusion. So engagement Mm -hmm. through that lens It's a great one for ideas. The other one that we mentioned in the workbook is called Participedia. So think Wikipedia and put Participedia instead. And it has hundreds of examples of activities and programs about engagement, about um, empowering communities, about planning or different things. So if you're looking for ideas of ways that you can, you know, do some programming, this is a free resource that has examples from all over the world. And many of them have done and put up the results of their evaluations on this website. So, you know, if you're curious about, you know, what are some of these ways people are doing either engagement or empowerment or community building interventions, check it out. And then, you know, if you're trying something similar, post your own on on onto Participedia so that we all can all learn from it. You know, go tell your own story. Thank you so much. Thank
0: you for being here and thank you to everybody listening. So again, check out the workbook, which we'll link in the notes section, Morris J. Wall Center for Dialogue, Participedia, And of course, the podcast that we recorded in 2020 with Alicia Masongsong and of course the host Nav Negra. So thank you again and hope you all have a lovely day. Thank you all so much for listening to this month's podcast on democratic engagement impact evaluation and the workbook, Where to Start, a workbook for evaluating democratic engagement impacts with Jennifer Wallowick. And thank you to Jennifer for coming back to the podcast. For all you listening, Vantage Point is a not-for-profit organization based in Vancouver, BC, that works to uplift the province's not-for-profit sector and its leadership. You can learn more at the vantagepoint.ca on our new website, and I would like to thank our sponsor, Humanity Financial Management, once again. If you're interested in supporting our work in education, consulting, and not-for-profit advocacy, please consider an organizational or individual membership by going to the vantagepoint.ca forward slash membership. There are several benefits, such as discounts on our educational programs and, speaking of democracy, opportunities to have your say in our advocacy and sector development work. And because the nature of making podcasts often leaves creators feeling like they're sitting in a room talking into the void, please leave us a comment to let us know how you found this podcast. What did you like? What did you want to hear more of? What were your takeaways? We want to know. Thanks again, and I look forward to talking at you again next time.